first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God. that is with me. (laughs) Whether then it was I or they, so we preached and you believed. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, We are of all people most to be pitied. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning, good morning. If I have not met you and we have not met one another, my name is Gabe, and it is an absolute treat to be with you all this morning on this Easter morning. And as we heard God's, read, God's word read over us, let's take a moment to pray together that we might anticipate the spirit of God working through his word for our good and God's glory. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we get to gather together in your name to celebrate the resurrection of your son, Jesus. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are seated on your throne up in heaven. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are working and mediating God's life here and among us. Thank you that we've been able to sing and confess and greet one another with the love of Christ. I pray, Lord, that this time as we look to your word, that as we seek to know you more deeply, You would guide us in the enlightenment of our mind, the stirring of our affections, the empowerment of our body, all for your glory. It is in Jesus' name we pray these things, and all God's people said, amen, amen, and amen. Well, I grew up uh, in the church, um, and so we had this tradition. Many of you are going to be very familiar with it, but I want to invite you to join me in it. So I'm saying this for those of you who are newer to church. Um, or aren't familiar with this, uh, there's a common refrain, and let's see if we can do it together. I will say the first part, and you say the second part. There's nothing on the screen, okay? So I'm just going to lean into it, all right? He is risen. He is risen indeed. Yeah, but what if he didn't? <laughs> uh, it's a question, right? And, and here's the deal. Um, 
If you've ever experienced deep gut-wrenching pain, you've asked this question. Because, I mean, what are we doing? And some of you, you're asking this question this morning. You came either because that's what you always do on Easter or somebody twisted your arm to come. Uh, maybe you're like, Mom, I'm here. Now leave me alone the rest of the year. Um, or maybe, you know, you're like telling your child, hey, I came so you can leave me alone the rest of the, the year. Or maybe you're thinking, if God does exist, I sure hope he sees me here. I'd rather be a thousand other places. You're telling me, hey, Gabe, the moment you can get done with your sermon, quicker the better, okay? So I've got plans today. I've got things to do. What if he didn't rise? What if, what, I mean, maybe you're here and you're thinking, you know what? What if, what if religion and Christianity in and of itself is more like those um, ancient vibration machines for working out? Do you remember these? Or you could stand and do nothing and you felt like you were like losing weight or something. Somehow it was going to shake it off of you. Um, some of you are like, oh, you know what? Christianity is probably like that. Maybe, just maybe, you can, it's a way to kind of assuage our guilt and feel okay while doing nothing in life. What if Jesus didn't rise from the dead? It's a question worth asking. It's a question when we gather together to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus as to whether or not any of this is worth it, right? Because this has massive implications on your life and mine. What if none of this really happened? Let me just run through a couple scenarios. What if instead of the resurrection of Jesus, and these are common theories, what if instead uh, Jesus' body was stolen, right? This is a, a common framework and, and perception. Even the religious leaders had kind of um, pushed this particular story out to the masses. Somehow these earliest disciples and maybe just a cluster of the earliest disciples performed this mission impossible task. The religious leaders of the day thought that they might come and try to steal them. That's why there were guards there. That's why they sealed around the tomb. It's because they were afraid of that very thing. And somehow, maybe just maybe, instead it was just a few disciples who beat up these Roman guards, rolled back the stone, took the body, even though the body's never been found, even though we've never been able to find bones, and even though the very men that they are claimed to have stolen the body are the ones who lived lives of character, who dedicated their whole lives to a quote-unquote lie, and then even died rather than committing that they actually did not see Jesus alive but stole his body. They, they dedicated everything and even focused their whole lives on loving the vulnerable, and proclaiming this and starting whole communities around it. Now, that's a, that's a, that's a theory. It doesn't tend to make as much sense to me when you pull all those facts together, but that's a theory. What if instead Jesus' body was stolen? Maybe not that. What if instead Jesus never died on the cross? This is another theory that's promoted. The idea that Jesus, after being beat up by the soldiers and then being whipped so brutally and his skin so flayed that you could see his organs through his skin. And then he carries his own cross. Nails are put into his feet, more than likely his ankles, his ankle joints, and then through his wrists until he asphyxiates on the cross. And then after they believe he's dead, they stab his side with a spear so that blood and water come out. And then they take him down and they put him in a tomb. Apparently he was just in a coma for three days. And then he wakes up after all of this atrocious behavior, unwraps himself, moves the stone all by himself, beats up two guards, and walks miles, instead of bleeding out, walks miles to other disciples, and still nobody was able to find Jesus when they were looking for him. What if instead that happened? 
What if Jesus didn't rise from the dead? What? Or maybe, maybe it's none of those. Maybe Jesus, they got the tomb wrong. Maybe he's still in some tomb somewhere. And instead of what the disciples said that they saw, these 500 plus folks that Paul talks about here in our passage, instead, they had these hallucinations. Some one-on-one, oh, I saw Jesus. I, I didn't eat my lunch and I got really hungry and I had a deep sleep and surely that dream was actually me engaging Jesus. And then those folks that were like 12 in a room who said that they saw Jesus and touched his side, that was a group hallucination. And all the different dynamics around that, that surely all they were doing was fabricating because they so desperately wanted him to be alive that they forced their minds subconsciously to create an image of Jesus resurrected. Over 500 people, actually. One of the largest mass hallucinations ever. What if it's one of those? Or maybe, just maybe, it's a mixture of any of the three. Despite the fact that physicians, historians, and psychologists have not been able to adequately explain the facts on the ground with any one of those theories. What if? Well, here's a couple of things that would be true. Then Jesus, as astounding as a human being as he was, was no more than a confused revolutionary. Sure, he came out of Galilee and he was a carpenter or some sort of trade, maybe even an iron or a stonemason. Um, but really, he just miscalculated the way the Roman government was going to respond to him. And he's definitely not worth your time. There are a lot of other more inspiring figures in many ways. If he was just somebody who had a ministry for like three years, led a ragtag group of people, and then died a failure on a cross, then that's the story of Jesus. Oh, sacrificial love. Yeah, but without the resurrection, where does it get you? To nothing. Then, of course, we could look at Stephen, one of the first Christian martyrs in the book of Acts. Someone who, once he, as a a Jewish person, embraced Jesus as the true Messiah, was unwilling to relent of the Jesus that he came to know, such that when other Jewish religious leaders told him to stop, they began to hold these stones and were about to throw them at him and to kill him. And instead, what does he say? He says he sees the heavens opened up And he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God the Father. And then he dies. What a waste. You could look at Matthew. He had a profitable business as a tax collector. He had a good way of life. He was set apart. He was ready to go. Instead, he left everything to follow Jesus. And then he goes to write what we have seen, the gospel account of Matthew. His experiences of Jesus, of his life, death, and resurrection to the point that he was unwilling to recant of what he said he saw, Jesus alive physically, such that he was murdered for Christ's sake. We can look at Mark. This is the scribe of Peter, someone who knew Peter, Peter who knew Jesus, and Mark who more than likely knew Jesus recording this story and recording Peter's account of walking with Christ and the beauty of his life, his death, and his resurrection. But rather than recant what he said he saw and what Peter saw, was willing to be dismembered Literally, his body ripped apart by the residents of Alexandria. And then, of course, we could look at the many Christians who experienced untold persecution and death and suffering and torture at the hands of the Roman emperors like Nero and Domitian and Trajan and so on. And that's just just the early church, friends. If you go throughout history, 
and you look at every continent and in every generation, there are those who chose to boldly proclaim in sacrificial acts of love towards the vulnerable and proudly and beautifully proclaim the beauty and the exclusivity of Jesus and then lost their lives for it. As inspiring as all of that is, it's an absolute waste. You see, if Jesus didn't rise again on the third day, this is all a waste, every bit of it. You could have been doing a lot of other things with your time, with your life. The 20th century philosopher Nietzsche, who was a very pragmatic atheist, who says, listen, we came from nothing and we're going to go to nothing, so the only purpose in life is the will to power. Morality and ethics, twist them as you need to in order to gain power. Because if you just have power, then you can take care of yourself and your own, and that is really the best you can do in this life until you die and there's nothing. You could look at Thomas Jefferson, who was a deist at best, who cut out the resurrection out of the New Testament, cut out all the miracles, and made a makeshift belief structure of his own that allowed him to justify atrocities at the founding of this nation. You could go through this, but the reality is if Jesus wasn't raised on the third day, then this is all a waste, every bit of it. I mean, at best, you know, this is a social program that allows us to not pay attention to the meaninglessness of life. Yay. Or at worst, it is a soul-sucking reality on society. And it should be eradicated if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And we're wasting our time. Even if it's sleeting at 4.30 in the morning, somehow in April, you should be out golfing. <laughs> somehow you should be doing something else, like bettering your life. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then you need to figure out how to get ahead. You need to figure out the way to have the most amount of comfort, the most amount of pleasure, the most amount of wealth. Do it while you can, because that's it. If anyone annoys you, you better believe you better annoy him back. If you need to lie to get ahead, go ahead, because there's nothing over you, no one over you. If it's in the dark, it'll stay in the dark, because when you die, you enter the dark. In the words of the Apostle Paul later in 1 Corinthians, he says, you know what, if this isn't true, we might as well just eat and drink and go about our lives before we enter the silence of nothingness. Woo, Easter. Hmm? All of this is a waste. Just chase your pleasure, let your feelings be your guide, and hopefully it all works out for the best of you. And even here's the deal, no one else's pain even matters either. Because at the end of the day, they're going to die, and then they're going to be nothing, and they're never going to remember it anyway. Social justice and the dynamics of that are meaningless. There is no framework if there is no resurrection for even a just society. And those who keep coming back week in and week out to center their lives on this so-called resurrection, well, we deserve to be the most pitied in all the world. That's the Apostle Paul's language, verse 19. If this isn't true, man, we are the most pitied of everybody. Now, let me give you the definition of pity here. It's the feeling of sorrow and compassion caused by the suffering and misfortunes of others. This is when you see someone experiencing difficulty and you feel bad for them. You have a feeling of sorrow for them. And there are really two different kinds of categories of pity, right? There's, there's when something terrible happens to someone that's out of their control. And you have pity on them. You're like, oh man, that's awful. I'm so sorry. Such a deep sorrow over what you're going through. Then there is the people who choose something that they didn't have to choose and they go through pain and suffering. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. If the resurrection isn't true, then we've chosen a life 
that invites suffering, that engages cost, that we didn't have to do. And we are, of course, the most pitied of all. We're really investing in nothing. In verse 17, he says we're still in our sin if the resurrection didn't happen. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, all those mistakes, all those terrible things you've done in the dark that only you know about, the things you've done against your friends, your family, your coworkers, those things that you don't dare bring up again, that guard you and like try to constantly fight for shame in your life, all those things, nothing's been taken care of. If the resurrection's not true, they're still, be, they're still there and they'll be there forever. If the resurrection's not true, the Apostle Paul says in verse 15, we're actually misrepresenting God. That somehow God would become human, somehow God would actually die for humanity, and then three days later rise again all to give us life. We're misrepresenting him, her, it, they, whatever God is. And we don't have the same categories if it's not for the resurrection. This isn't an optional part, uh, part in the whole framework of our religious structure. It all hangs on this. And more than that, this isn't just a cognitive belief and that we have the right ideas and that we can go about our life. To believe the resurrection means we live the resurrection. And it comes with a cost. That means that there are parts in our lives where we have certain feelings or desires or predispositions towards certain things. And Jesus says, hey, that's, that's sin. That's going to lead to death. That misses the mark on what I've designed and I long for you. And because I've defeated death, let me show you what life looks like. No longer leaning into that. but God, It means allowing Jesus to divine certain aspects of your life as sin and broken and unjust. And then to redefine what life looks like. It means at times associating with Jesus even when it costs you. We see this globally, but we see it also locally. Associating with Jesus, not picking and choosing, not hiding in the shadows, and then shining your light. It's about associating with Jesus consistently. There's an element of that that comes with extraordinary cost. And we see this with the Apostle Paul, don't we? I mean, this guy had everything going for him. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees. I mean, he was a shoo-in to be in significant power. He's trained by Gamaliel, one of the greatest thinkers of the day. And instead, something happens to him where now, more than likely, he was married before, but now he's single and he's celibate. And instead of antagonistically attacking the church, he's actually planting churches and going for support in a way that puts him extremely vulnerable. And he's mocked by all his previous peers. That's Paul's story, the one who's writing this letter, 1 Corinthians. And then look at the rest of the church. All of this hangs on chapter 15, the resurrection, where he says, hey, hey, don't take fellow Christians to court because our ethical code is higher than what's legal. So we're going to do things a little bit different. Hey, 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 you don't get to sleep with whoever you want. But instead, our framework for the body actually seeks a higher honor one for another. That's anchored in God's design and for our good. Hey, hey, listen, I know out there you have certain socioeconomic statuses that give you privilege and power, and then even there's ethnic dynamics, but here we're the family of God. Because Jesus is alive, we're part of a new family, and you don't get to come in and act all high and mighty over against others. We are equal around the table because we're all under Jesus. This has massive ramifications. 
But if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we got dressed up for one of the most expensive fairy tales that is really a disease on our society. Because there's no real reason to believe that there's power in this. There's no real reason to say that this is worthy of our life and our time. Now, some of you maybe are getting nervous. You're like, my goodness, does this pastor even believe in the resurrection? We've spent a lot of time. Is this the precursor to the, dro- the bomb drop? No, hold on. It's really important for us to ask these kinds of questions. As the people of God, we shouldn't be afraid to ask hard questions and to stare them in the face. That's the kind of community the church is meant to be, where we say, hey, this is a dangerous question. Let's ask it. Because if Jesus really is the way, the truth, and the life, we shouldn't have fear to ask hard questions. We should be afraid when we don't ask the hard questions because doubt and secret will secretly control us. Instead, we need one another to go back to the word and to wrestle through it together. And listen, if we don't ever ask, what if he didn't? Then we're never going to see both how different and how beautiful it is to even ponder, what if he did? If you don't look at what if he didn't, you have no understanding as to what it means that he did. And so we've got to be able to mind the depths that this is, this is a life of wastefulness. This is worthless. There is meaninglessness. There is mystery that we cannot navigate if he did not rise from the dead. And all we're left is with ourselves. But before we go to the scriptures and we begin to ponder what if he did, I just want us to acknowledge a couple of things that historians, whether they're Christians or not, will agree to, okay? For starters, nearly every historian will agree that there was a man by the name of Jesus who lived in the first century who was some sort of carpenter, had some sort of vocation in that realm, was from Galilee and died on a cross. Almost every historian will recognize that. Secondly, almost every historian will recognize that the tomb was empty. The burden of proof is to those who want to claim otherwise. There's also never been a body delivered, never been bones provided, so we don't know where the body is <laughs> if you seek to counteract that, which if the authorities had stolen it, they'd have every reason or even discovered it, they'd have every reason to reveal it in the time to help quell what they considered an annoying movement. Thirdly, or fourthly, the very folks who said that they saw Jesus alive, some 500 of them, who were perceived as crazy, having absurd ideology, when they were being murdered, crucified, or killed, they came with extraordinary sanity and had brilliant logic to craft Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and these brilliant New Testament letters with logic that flows seamlessly, with a heart that's toward truth-telling and sacrificial love. Even though they perceived to have had this psychotic break, according to some, somehow the rest of their life makes a ton of sense and beauty. Not to mention that every world religion, for some reason, talks about Jesus. Every world religion, you can't ignore him. I mean, if he was just some guy in some backwater Galilee and died a just uneventful death, why is the whole world talking about him? Why are we still talking about him some 2,000 years later? So let me ask, 
What if he did rise? Sure, there's a place to ask, what if he didn't? But what if he did? What if these 500 witnesses that, John, or that, that the Apostle Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15 actually are people of character? Actually saw what they said they saw? I mean, golly, folks, we need way fewer witnesses to believe almost everything else in the world. And I get it. Dead people stay dead, right? So this is pretty astounding. But that's why Jesus went above and beyond to give us over 500 people and the Apostle Paul, even when he's writing this letter, he's like, some of them are still alive. Go chat with them. They don't believe me. Go talk with them yourselves. Look in their eyes. Hear the timbre in their voice. They saw him. They touched him. And for me, as I look through the evidence and navigate what's before us, as crazy as it sounds that Jesus came back to life, it's the only thing that feels plausible of the remaining evidence. And if it's true, if it's true, then here, listen, listen. Uh, then this isn't just an idea, right? This is something that radically reorients the way we show up in the world. It changes the way we view death. It changes the way we view suffering. And yes, yes, now we have an eternal hope. We have forgiveness that's possible. Listen, karma doesn't define life. You don't get as much good out as you put in. That's karma. Instead, we have a God that's very contrary to that. Even when we were our worst, he pursued our good. That's not karma. That's grace. That's astounding. And yes, then we get to spend eternity with him, the one who's been pursuing us. And as much as all that's true, there's even more. Because now, the very new life that the Apostle Paul's writing about, the very new life that Jesus speaks about when he talks about the kingdom of God coming to bear, that actually radically re reorients the way we show up in the world because the spirit that comes with this resurrection life that we will know in the full in the future has broken in. The very framework of time has bent in on itself to actually show up now. And all that the Apostle Paul talks about our bodies, our work, and our relationships being radically different is just scratching the surface of the reality in your life and mine when we embrace Jesus. But not just that. Then every cost that we are called to endure is nothing in comparison to what we will experience with him. Whatever you wrestle through in the next you know, 80 or 100 years, if the Lord is so kind? How does that compare with eternity? With time that knows no end? Where the sorrows and the pains are going to feel like distant memories. Not to minimize pain, to be sure, but to appropriately categorize it in light of the time horizon in which we are given as human beings. I mean, in that regard, Jesus has come that in everything that feels like a cost, he's come to actually bring life to. The things that feel like a cost, over time, given enough time, we will see God work and they will become gifts. That sounds almost as crazy as that a dead person came alive. Almost. <laughs> That's the power of this gospel. And then, on top of all of that, you don't have to quell this feeling that you know you had the moment you heard it again that he's alive. And it was this feeling, the feeling of hope. Without the resurrection, there's despair. There's survival of the fittest, full stop. But with Jesus coming alive, 
then you know that someone loves you that much. You know someone who will become human, not because he needed us. He created the world and we rejected him, but he became human and actually pursues us because of his love, full stop. Then he lived the life we could never live in order to show us what life could be. Oh, because of his love for us. And then he goes to a cross and he says, I'm going to pay what you can't pay that only I can pay. Why? Because I love you, full stop. Then three days later, he rises again and he says, listen, I've come to give this kind of life to you. Why? What's the twist? Because I love you and we don't know how to understand that and the hope that that brings within us. It's combating the despair that you think that no one could ever love you for you and God says, I did and I do. That's the hope we have in the gospel if the resurrection is true. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, and listen, whatever stories you're being told psychologically, physically, financially, whatever's being spoken over you, you need to know that that doesn't have the final say because of this. This is the hope. Again, whatever your diagnosis with cancer, and yes, it may even take your life early, that doesn't have the final say over who you are. Whatever your boss said over you in that negative review, or you got let go for that particular job, that's not the final say over who you are. That relationship ended, either a friendship or a marriage or an intimate relationship in one way, shape, or form in a way that surprised you and you felt personally rejected and wondering if you're worth anything, that doesn't have the final say over you. What has the final say is the resurrected Jesus who's coming with arms open saying, I have life that nothing can defeat. That's what we get. And without it, Nothing. And you know, Paul knows this feeling. I appreciate Paul because he's not afraid to face the what ifs in life. And just think about this, okay? We've, we've gone through an interesting season in the United States, okay? The Apostle Paul was so polarized against Christianity. <laughs> I mean, on a scale of 1 to 10, he was a 10.5 against the church, against Jesus. And he's, on, he's literally on the road to destroy people. And Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, stops him. And the Apostle Paul does a 180. A 180. How many times have you been in conversations with people you deeply disagree with? And you realize that neither of you are going to change each other's not minds. Paul was way more entrenched in his viewpoint. But something happened. And he said he met the resurrected Jesus and radically reoriented his life, gave up everything, and even died for it. We see it here in the passage. He talks about it in verse 9. He's even willing to own it. What level of humility. Listen, I was totally against all this. But then God showed up and I had no choice. <laughs> I had to face the facts. And then he gets down. We read up to verse 19 because we wanted us to end there for a second and hold the beauty of what the Apostle Paul says right when you get to verse 20. Because then he says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. If none of this is true, we're the most pitiable. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. This is him listening to the testimony of others as well as his own personal experience of the resurrected Jesus. It's historically verifiable by the witness of testimony. Eyewitness testimony. And I think it makes the most sense of the facts before you, even though 
in one sense, it pushes deep against our 21st century, still modern framework for what is even possible in life. The despair of modernism confronts the hope of the gospel. But by golly, this makes more sense to me. Jesus Christ is indeed alive. And you know what that means? It means that you and I, if you believe that Jesus is indeed alive, we're not worthy of pity. There may be some who pity uh, those who follow Jesus and believe in the resurrection. There may be even so, some who hate. Because once again, this is not just an historical event. It's a historical event that actually transforms the way we live as we go about our life. And there are a bunch of titles that are given those that actually believe that Jesus is alive and that his way of doing life is best and submitting to his word and as he's passed it on to apostles to actually guide us into this life and life abundance. There are a lot of different titles. But here's what we get to say. This is what we come to see. We're not to be pitied. Instead, what we come to see is that you and I, we know that we are and will be honored when the final day comes. When every knee bows and every tongue confesses finally that Jesus is Lord, we'll be nodding, not in arrogance, but in joy over Jesus finally being recognized for who he exclusively is. We know that we are and will be blessed. We will be made whole and genuinely full of joy upon his return. And we know and are and will be victorious, even over death. This is where the Apostle Paul goes in the rest of 1 Corinthians 15. This isn't a fairy tale. It's not theoretical either. This actually happened. And I think sometimes we get in the rhythms of Easter, Resurrection Sunday, the traditions of them all, and those aren't bad, but they can numb us to the beauty, the power, the surprise, and wonder of the resurrection. That not only it happened, but it's happening. As people are continuing to embrace this resurrection life today. And one story that we have a video testimony from is from Vanessa at our Olathe campus. Christ Community is made up of five campuses across Kansas City. And I want you to hear Vanessa's story of that resurrection life come to the fore in her life. Let's watch. Addiction is a very powerful thing. I mean, it's, it's a chain. It's heavy chains. One night I had came home and my parents had asked me if I was doing drugs. And I was at the time. I had just started dabbling. And so my parents confronted me about it. And I was like, no, no, I would never do that. I found another place to live with another guy, so I would rather move out than to admit my wrongs. I went from, you know, just taking pills to get through my shift at work, not holding down a job. My addiction's getting worse. I don't have money to be able to afford my drugs. How am I gonna keep going? It was a really sad time for all of us because, you know, my mom felt like she had failed. My dad felt the same way. I was more angry than anything and ashamed. It's that shame that makes you kind of distance yourself from the people you love. I hid from my parents. It got to the point where they would even come try to look for me at the house where I was staying. I would 
hide in my room. I could hear them knocking on the door and I would just, I refused to open the door because I knew that if they saw me, they, they would know immediately something's wrong. Her and my dad were so sad one day that they were like, you know, there's a church right here down the block. Why don't we go check it out and see what that's all about? She still had all this stress about wanting to take care of her daughter and, and save her from whatever she was going through. But at the same time, she was also learning to let go and let God. One day I went to go visit my parents and we were sitting at the dinner table and my mom told me about this dream she'd had. And in this dream, I was a little three, four year old girl but I was, I was looking down really sad. She's like, all I could see were your eyelashes and then tears running down your face. And I was trying to reach out to you to grab you and be like, don't cry, I'm here with you, don't cry. And every time I try to grab you, you would slip in between my fingers. And in that moment, I just lost it. I started crying and that's when I admitted to my mom, I do need help. It's not just a dream, mom, I need help. I'm not okay. If she wouldn't have made the first step to come to church and seek God, I would have never gotten to know God. And my, my story would be very different. It could be my mom sitting here talking about, you know, her testimony about the loss of a daughter to addiction rather than her daughter sitting here saying it's possible to get clean. Prior to getting baptized, I was still struggling with my addiction. It was very fresh still. Once I made the decision that I'm gonna take my, my relationship with God serious. This is life or death for me. Once I made that decision, it's like I went underwater and God brought me back like a completely different person with a new perspective, with, with new needs and wants and, and desires. Even the own power of addiction can be broken by God's power, by God's will. Well, Vanessa, have you come to trust and treasure Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life? Yes, all right. The resurrection life that came out of the tomb three days later is still breaking in today into the lives of individuals, makes up the ethos of a community centered on the common good of our city and the glory of God. So here's the question I have for us. Which what if will you choose? I mean, faith is trust, it's confidence in what God has done in history and what he can continue to do in your story. Which what if will you choose? And both of them are all inclusive. Both of them have radical implications. One means Everything is meaningless. Or the other means everything has meaning. One means we're utterly alone, and the other means we're never alone. They couldn't be more different. So which will you choose? And I want to ask here today, if you're living a life, we went through these two different what-ifs. If your life looks a lot more like, what if he didn't rise from the dead? But then you're over here saying, you believe he did? Look at your life and ask a deep question as to whether or not you genuinely believe. What does your bank account say? What do your relationships say? What does your life say? That reveals your heart. If one confesses with your mouth and believes in your heart, your heart reveals itself in a lot of different ways.
And listen, if that's true of you today, I want you to know grace meets you. If you look at Paul's own story in verse 10, he uses the word grace three times. He's learned long ago that it had nothing to do with the resume, but because of God's un unmerited favor towards us. We didn't deserve it, but he's pursuing us. That very same grace by the power of the Spirit actually empowers us in a different kind of life, a resurrection life. That's not without doubts, that's not without struggles, but it is categorically different because of the Spirit of God. So if that's you, maybe now's the time to resurrender, to do reflection. Does your life look like what if he didn't rise? Or does it look like what, he, what if he did? And if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, and you're ready to explore the beauties of the resurrection, I also want to recommend a really helpful resource, Frank Morrison in his book, Who Moved the Stone? A Skeptic's Look at the Death and Resurrection of Christ is a great resource. He goes even deeper, going to actually seek to invalidate the, the cross and the resurrection, found himself believing um, the more he dug into the, the truth and the reality and the witness and the evidence for it. But wherever you're at, don't delay, okay? Which what if will you choose? Because we're all living a wager, right? We're all, we're, we're all making a bet that one is the right decision. One is going to bring us out the outcome we deeply long for. The longer you delay, you're making a bet. If you follow Jesus and you count the cost, you're also making a bet. Some of you are like, don't talk about gambling, Gabe. This is church. No, I get it. I get it. But in reality, we're going all in one way or the other. And I like my odds. <laughs> and so I can stand up here honored to tell you, he is risen. He is risen indeed. And oh, if we believed that, if I believed that more, the hook of sin would not be nearly as deep within my heart. The realities of inequity, especially among the people of God, would not be nearly as felt. The divisions that are dividing us would become so slim and minute. And the sacrificial actions we carry out one for another, the joy we experience in being with one another, the love that would come to encompass our community would skyrocket. What, what if will you choose? Where do you struggle to believe? Maybe ask him, to bring his resurrection life there. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, triune God, worthy of praise, you have gone above and beyond. You've condescended to the depths. You've gone every which way to communicate the height, the depth, the length of your love for us and the very power it has to give what we deeply long for, which is life and life eternal and life eternal with you. So God, we believe. Help us in our unbelief. For those who are here who don't believe but are wrestling to believe, Spirit of God, continue to guide them in the truth. God, we know that with you there is life and without you, there's nothing. I long for everything that you have to offer. Help us, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.